0: Hey folks, you're listening to Season 2, Episode 6 of the Depth and Candor Podcast, and I'm your host, Hewate Kitana. If you're just tuning in for the first time, welcome. This podcast is all about sharing stories that help us live vibrant lives from the inside out. And today, I'm recording this intro from Cartagena, Colombia. And short word on Cartagena, it is so incredibly beautiful and lively, and there is so much melanin everywhere. And I posted on Instagram about how I was working on the podcast while I was on the plane or just early in the mornings before we went out for the day. And a lot of my friends and just people on Instagram were like, aren't you on vacation? Like, why Why are you doing work? But... As I responded, I realized that to me, traveling and working on a podcast like this one that adds substance and adds value to the world makes me feel like this is my version of a vibrant life. So here's to having more days like your ideal ones and not feeling like you need to escape your life through a vacation. But... Now, back to the show. Let's talk about our incredible guest. She is a wine educator and consultant. Her name is Kelly Mitchell, and we're going to be talking about her career and of course about wine. You will love 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 this episode if you want to develop your knowledge of wine so that it never intimidates you and This wine is a huge part of my life now. Um, You know this if either you subscribe to the email list or if you follow me on social media. Wine is a big part of my life because... I host a salon series for women of color called Vinterlude and it's based in New York City and at every event we feature black entrepreneurs and we feature wines from black owned wineries and our hope is that we can invest in the black economy and in black businesses that way. So I've learned a ton about wine through that process and it was actually at our very first Vinterlude event that I met Kelly Mitchell as she led our attendees through a wine tasting. Kelly is an independent wine consultant and educator. She's also a wine specialist and salesperson recognized by some of the country's most elite wine buyers and sommeliers as a knowledgeable wine professional. Okay, let's go to the show. Kelly, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's exciting. I (laughs) can't wait to talk about wine. It's the best, one of the best topics out there, I, at least I think so. The best way to spend a Saturday. Totally. <laughs> OK, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself
1: and what you do? Sure, so uh, I work in the wine industry in a number of capacities. Um, I have a day job in the wine industry, so I'm a sales representative. Um, And then in addition, I have a business on the side, Kelly Mitchell Wine, where I get to work with consumer audiences. So um, just to kind of explain how that works, um, with my day job, I'm really interacting with wine buyers, which would be restaurant owners, um, wine directors at restaurants, sommeliers at restaurants, and wine shop owners who are doing the buying. And I don't have very much interaction. At all with uh, consumer audiences. So, um, my my business focuses on uh, working with consumer audiences and companies and brands, people who are not wine buyers, in mm-hmm. um, educating them on wine, um, leading wine tastings and events, consulting with them in a variety of capacities, and just making wine fun and relatable. So, kind of like you, what you did for our event. Yes. Exactly. So what did you study in school to become this? (laughs) It has nothing to do with wine. Uh, I went to Spelman College, um, and I was an English major there. Um, And then I spent a few years working in both finance and advertising and marketing in New York. Um, But wine was always kind of something that was an interest and a passion and kind of percolating, you know, in the back of my mind. But I never really viewed it as a real career, quote-unquote, or something that you could make a living out of or that someone that went to a liberal arts college would do. I mean, Spelman is extremely traditional in a lot of ways. I mean, there's people leading in many fields, but a lot of of the leadership and the work that Spelman women are doing is in somewhat traditional paths, like medicine, law, business. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I I became aware of, you know, the industry through, um, well, First, I was working at Goldman Sachs and one of the partners that that ran the division that I was working in was a big wine collector. So we would spend time talking about wine and when we were planning client events, um, he was always really interested in the wine list. And I'm like, this is really interesting and it's really uh, multifaceted and, and it's a very, you know, there's a lot out there to learn and to know. And I just became interested in the industry. So I looked up where I can take some wine classes And that's when I discovered um, the International Wine Center in uh, midtown Manhattan, which is one of the two, I would say two to three main schools um, in the city that people attend. And once I started taking classes there, there were some consumers and just people who were enthusiasts and don't work in the industry or have an intention to. But there was a lot of people who were like actually working in the industry in different fields. And so I said, okay, this is actually can be an industry that I can work in. But I still kept ignoring it, and I didn't, I didn't make a move at that point. But then I was at uh, my last job as a marketing director, and I was like, you know, this is fine. But I just, I, I want to do something that's a little bit more fulfilling for me. And I just said, you know what? One day, I just left work early and went to an industry tasting, and which is um, industry tastings happening during the day. Mm-hmm. And I met there basically usually from twelve to four. And therefore, the trade only, and it's a way for distributors and wine buyers to kind of meet over a bunch of wines. And it's like a power tasting opportunity to really see what's out there and to make purchasing decisions. Um, and it kind so of... So at this point, did you know anything about wine? Not really. Just a little bit from my okay. introductory class, but not too much. I mean, it was a very basic level of understanding. So I remember going to that tasting and getting the book and looking at it, and I was like, these are all foreign, like the list of the wines and the names and the producers, and I had no idea what these, what they were. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to fake it till I make it. I'm in this room. And like, this is where I want to be, but I'll never forget like the feeling I had just being in that space. Like I didn't know anybody, anyone there. Um, I was invited by somebody who was the head of that company, but she never had actually met me and we didn't, weren't able to connect at that event. But I just was like, this is my home. Like this is where I belong. This is the industry I need to be in. And it was just such a, like Energizing experience to taste through all the wines and read the labels and read the um, you know meet some of the producers and um, enjoy the experience and I said okay I have to how do I have to do this whole time like how do I do this so went back to keep going to wine school and then it was presented an opportunity to work at VOS Selections where I was for the last two and a half years so that's when I just was like okay now I'm actually in the industry and. I'm I'm doing this. And so I work there. But again, people kept looking to me from the consumer standpoint, like for events and for just wanting to relate to me. And I make, I try to make wine fun and social and, you know, my person, inject my my personality when I'm talking about it. So people get really excited because I'm really (laughs) excited about it. Yeah. And you're
0: not making it this like high level thing that's not, yeah.
1: I am very anti like wine snobbery. I, I do have a personal interest in. Learning a lot about wine and being highly knowledgeable, but I don't. Um, I want to. It's. It doesn't. If you retain all that information, you're you're not doing anyone, any yourself or anyone else any favors. It's really about translating that and transferring your knowledge. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's really. fun. <laughs> so let's go back to something you said that um, is still with me. You said when you walked into that wine tasting, mm-hmm. you really felt at home. Yeah. So we have a lot of listeners who are in jobs that they kind of like, but don't really quite feel like this is it for them. Mm-hmm. So how did you know? How did What made it feel like home? I think it was
1: really just the energy I got from the space and just how comfortable I felt in, in there. And for me, you know, on that note, it's like I'm very candid about it. Like when I, there's a lot of people who can work and feel that they're not that passionate about and they can still like perform at a high level and really turn it on. And I was able to do that for a period of time, but that, period of time was coming to an end it was just becoming increasingly hard to like go to work on time and like perform at a high level and it was because I just wasn't passionate about about what I was doing or that had run its course um I can't say that I was never passionate about finance or marketing because I think there were times when I was and there were times when I was excited about about my work but it was more peaks and it wasn't really a consistent level of comfort and excitement about what I was doing and my future in that business. Right. And so I think just kind of a sigh of relief. It's just like when you you don't realize you're tense about something and then you go into like a space where you're like, okay, this is what relaxation and comfort feels like. You may not recognize it when you're all wound up really tight, but when you get that sense of release, you're like, oh my gosh, now I know what it feels like to be like at peace, comfortable. And so I was just chasing that feeling and Mm. I was like, I have to make this work because I, you know, knew that it was better for me. And I always knew that in my jobs, I was never like reaching my full potential and everything I was doing. Like I was definitely had, again, there was times when I was excelling and really like feeling what I was doing and really into it. But then there was a lot of times where it was just kind of like blah, you Mm -hmm, know? mm -hmm. And I just always felt out of sync because of that. And I'm like, there has to be some profession or some industry or some line of work where, I feel as great as I do in my personal life at, in work, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, but I used to have this philosophy too, that, that um, your work is not supposed to be your fun, like your work is supposed to be your work, and your fun is supposed to be your fun, and mm-hmm. those are two separate things, mm-hmm. and that was really like how I viewed a lot of things. Um, and I'll never forget when I had like a few friends and including my, my boyfriend that worked at like MTV. I'm like, I can't believe people work at, you know, <laughs> at MTV. That's like, so, you know, it's such a fun place to work and they're, yeah, it's a job, but there it's not serious. And like, I just had these like really backwards views about like fun and work and how they don't necessarily go together but like my my reality i was experiencing was like how disconnected i was as a person because i wasn't working in my passion and in something that i en- enjoyed all the way so um so i just it was like okay it's time to you know really make the
0: <laughs> make the change you know it's so funny that you say the like work work needs to be work and life need, the rest of your life can be fun right. when i was an undergrad i remember having a conversation with a friend of mine who was like you know, like marketing is the most important major because you need to learn how to sell anything in life, right? And I was like, I was a biochem major. And I was like, no, like you need a serious major. And now I look back and I'm like, girl, you should have been a marketing major. Like. There's so many aspects of like business and Mm -hmm. sales that I think is so interesting, but I never let myself go there because it wasn't quote unquote serious enough. So I love that you've um, come to this place where you feel like work can be fun too
1: exactly and don't get me wrong it's still a lot of hard work Mm -hmm. you know there's a lot that goes into um you know there's a lot of information to know about wine it's a dynamic industry it's ever-changing you know it's a very much a hustling um you know industry um it's not you know because of the roots of it the origins of work you know it's restaurant driven there's just Mm -hmm. a lot of things about it that are not from the path that came from but it's enjoyable to me because I I just love it on that level. So once I made that switch, I was like, okay, this feels much better. Uh, it was definitely challenging, but I knew that I was on the right path, and I never doubted that. And I didn't, and I and I also found myself thinking about my future much more than like getting through the day. You know, when mm. I was in things that doing things that weren't as exciting to me. I was just like, how do I get through this day, this week, this month? But now it's like, oh, I can't wait for like in three years to be doing this or in five years to be that doing that. That is so powerful. Yeah, it's a completely different outlook. So it just it really makes me, you know, so happy. And I I, I encourage more people to make those kinds of switches. Why don't you give
0: us some pro tips now? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um whenever I go to restaurants, really all I look at is like a price. Yes. <laughs> and B, like do I know any of these names? What's like a good w- rule of thumb when you go to a restaurant and you know you want to order something fancy, let's say if you're with a client, what's a good rule of thumb to follow?
1: So, I think what really makes wine very enjoyable is pairing it well with the food that you're eating. So, I really think it's it's important to consider what you're ordering as your entrees um and narrowing it down there from there so there may be um some specific wines that may not pair well with what you're eating i mean it does take a little bit of knowledge to know that like which ones you would pair well but if you have that information definitely putting that into play not being too brand loyal too early like some people look at wine lists and they're looking for like a specific producer instead of saying okay i would love to have like a sonoma um Savion blanc they are looking specifically for the name that they've had in the past and it's just wine is so vast and there's so many producers out there that you're you're limiting yourself in that regard and so i just i always recommend maybe knowing a specific style but just keeping it as i like this grape or i like this region and then being open to exploring from there um I think really utilizing wine directors and sommeliers is, is underrated. I think people look at them as, like, they're going to try to oversell something. Like, consumers may think they're going to try to oversell me or... At restaurants. Yeah, at mm-hmm. restaurants. Or they're going to, you know, um, refer me something that's too, like, weird that I, I don't like. But I think expressing what your interests are um, or just asking them what they recommend based on what you've ordered. Their job part of their job is to really know that menu inside and out so there's they should have a good sense of what the best wine pairings are Mm -hmm. within your budget on that list for the entrees that you ordered that's what their expertise is and that's part of the reason why why they are there so i think really utilizing and understanding that perspective and not viewing them as someone that's gonna you know oversell you or try to like um confuse you with their with some, like, high-level terminology or just talking about things you don't understand, just trusting that they are most knowledgeable about that menu
0: and the pairings um, that would go best with that. So do you ever ask, like, oh, do you guys have a sommelier or a wine director?
1: Yes, I do, yeah, and they may offer that, but if they don't, you could just ask them. You're like, oh, do you guys have someone that is leading your wine program that's available tonight to, to chat or, you know, however yeah. you want to format, format it, Um and then the other thing is wine is a very much an evolving, you know, it's a living, breathing thing. So understanding that it changes from time to time, the same bottle today will taste very different today than it will a year from now. So another thing that I, I rely on wine directors and sommeliers for is to really know what's drinking well right now. So that's another good question you can ask is, what is like you know really um, singing right now or what's really showing its it's itself in the most in the best light and I think that's another way to drink better at restaurants is to really drink what's showing well what's be, what's extra beautiful right now um and they're, they they should be the ones uh, to know that and then also just being comfortable staying in your price point I think a lot of people have this you'll see a list and you'll see you know, you know, three wines that are under a hundred dollars and then like 65 wines that are a hundred dollars to $400. That's just, those are there. There are clientele for every price point, but don't feel like you can't order the wines that are, you know, under a hundred dollars a bottle. A lot. Actually, most people are ordering wines. I would say in the 60 to $75 price point on the list. Um, from what I'm hearing from a lot of the clients I have from a sales perspective, That tends to be a real sweet spot for consumers while they're dining out. So don't be alarmed by seeing lists that have, you know, you know, so many wines that are pricier or maybe out of your budget. Um, And you should feel confident in making a choice at any at any level.
0: So so your like interest in a kind of wine definitely depends on what you're eating, but you don't have like a favorite wine.
1: I do. Like if I see a specific, meaning I have definitely have producers that I prefer. Um, if I see them on the list, I'm like, oh yes, I definitely want to drink this with this um, with this meal that I'm having. Yes. Um, or I have just generally regions that I like um, and, and grapes that I like. So you can say, you know, I really enjoy, you know, Cab Franc or um, nothing, I like all my wines to be unoaked. You know, those are stylistic tips that can narrow certain choices and remove certain choices from... From the recommendation. And you may not know, like, okay, you like Chardonnay, but you want it to be unoaked Chardonnay. So saying that will maybe take away about half the choices and that's where you're gonna rely on that wine person to 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 recommend to you. What does it mean to be unoaked? Oh, sure, so, sure. So that's a winemaking. Um oak is, is it can can be part of the vinification, the winemaking process, so it can be part of um the aging process in wine, um, and the fermentation process in wine. And so it imparts certain flavors. Um, and it does, it's a, an aspect, a tool in making wine and it changes the profile of a certain grape versus, um, usually it just imparts, um, toasty notes, vanilla notes, um, and wood flavors essentially. And, uh, if you have a wine that's, That stainless steel, you know, fermented and aged in stainless steel, as an as an example, it it would be a lot cleaner expression, and you wouldn't have those flavor profiles. as part of the winemaking, so it just like an unoaked chardonnay and and a and a oaked chardonnay have different flavor profiles. So it's more of a of a flavor thing, and these are things you'll learn like over time. You don't have to know everything right away. I mean, I think even just saying I like white wine, that's you know clean uh, and crisp and acidic is, is a good starting place to, to, to ordering with some knowledge, you know, from a list. So you don't have to have a very acute sense of what you're looking for, but just a couple of, of, of pointers could really uh, be helpful.
0: So let's play truth or myth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, f- if you're ordering fish, always order white wine. That's
1: a myth. Um, it depends on the on the uh the weight of the fish, I guess you can say, and also the preparation style. So for example, like a classic pairing is salmon and Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir is a red wine with a lighter bodied red, but because of the I guess the meatiness of uh of salmon and like the weight of it versus like a light flaky white fish, it, it can hold up to a lighter bodied uh, red wine. So it's generally correct. I mean, it's a safe choice for, um, to order white wine, but you can order red wine with certain types of, of meteor fish. I also think that, um, you know, the preparation style. So if you're having something that's grilled versus something that's like in a lemon butter sauce, like that can change. Um, I think in general, pairing with the Sauce that you're cooking with on any type of food is, is a better option than oh. pairing with the actual, yeah, underlying item. Because if you have a simply grilled uh, piece of fish versus um, something that's, you know, marinated in soy and, and Asian spices, you, it may change. You know, those are the, that's going to be the, the dominant flavor profile is going to be the season, the, the marinade versus like the actual like fresh fish um you know, fresh fish taste. So that's really what you want to pair off of. And and with food and wine pairing, you know, there's a couple of general rules. Like it's really about pairing like fat and acid. Like that's kind of how I look at food and wine pairing. So if your food is a leaner, something leaner, you would want like a more weighty, a little bit more weight in the wine. If your food has a lot of fat in it, you want something that's a little bit more, well, that can hold up to the the weight but that also has aspects that counteract that so for example like that's this is why a classic pairing is like a if you have a ribeye steak and it has like all the marbling it's really nice with um a Cabernet because it has you have the weight of the Cabernet which is a, a heavier grape varietal but you also have the tannin in in Cabernet that's kind of um the mouth drying sensation and it adds like it's kind of Balances with works well with a fattier piece of meat. Versus if you had like, for example, like Merlot and 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 steak would not go well together because Merlot is a very soft.
0: Wow. Varietal.
1: Okay. And it doesn't. It, it's just like it would become too flabby. There's nothing kind of matching. There's nothing kind of singing together when you're combining these flavors. They really blend together too much, and and we and that's and why we'll usually call that like something a flabby. Pairing and a pairing. Okay. Um, but again, this is, it's more of an art than a science. It's kind of hard to explain unless you are like tasting through it together um, when you have examples to really taste. But if you have something. That has a, a food that has a lot of acid in it. You're gonna want a little bit more of a luscious wine. If you have ac- acidic food and then you have like a super acid-driven like wine, it's like woo, like zippy, and it's like yeah. your ears like coming out <laughs> of your, you know, just that feeling of like this is just all too tart. Like you need a little bit of balance of both. So acid and fat, tannins and fat as well, I think are like you want to kind of con- contrast and complement those
0: um, in food and wine pairing truth or myth too you're never supposed to cool red wine in a fridge
1: that's actually also a myth um so certain red varietals especially on the lighter side like like beaujolais which is gamay or you know certain um lighter bodied italian wines uh, there's a couple of varietals that really do benefit from being slightly chilled never like totally cold um or to the level of white wines but just a slight chill on um certain varietals just really softens them up it makes them a little bit more just enjoyable especially in the summer months or the warmer months wine really supposed to be served at like 56 degrees um which is hard most red wine most red wines i mean i think fuller body reds can be a little bit warmer but if you drink get a wine and it's like 75 degrees in your mouth like that's not an enjoyable experience so um red or white so um even red wines can benefit from just a slight little chill so you can just pop it in the fridge for like five minutes just to take five to ten minutes before you serve it just to kind of take the room temperature-ness out of it and make it like a little bit under room temp um and it it, to me it can become like a much more enjoyable experience so yeah
0: third one Mm -hmm. rosé is rosé it doesn't matter what kind you get as long as it's sweet and sparkly you're good to go
1: uh that's also false there are sweet rosés but most rosés that are out there um tend to be dry and uh, what's unique and exciting about rosé is the seasonality of it not necessarily when we when uh when you're drinking it but that it releases annually at the same time every year so right now in the spring and summer of 2017, most of the rosés that we'll be drinking and seeing on the market are going to be 2016 rosés. And we'll drink those all year until this time next year when the 2017s are around. So rosé is meant to be enjoyed young, um, youthful, um, and it's, it's, it's fresh and it's light and it's yeah, that's really what it's intended for. It's not necessarily intended to be something that's age, age, age. It's not really age worthy. Um, it's not intended to be, you know, held on to for a few years. I mean, it's nothing. they actually can develop. You can, some rosés can develop some beautiful notes, um, you know, one, one or two years old, but it's more the exception than the rule. Generally speaking, um, most consumer audiences really enjoy drinking their rosés fresh, fresh. Um, So they're generally released in uh, around this time every year, meaning released, meaning released to the market. So that's when they're shipped to from the winemakers to the distributors and the distributors are getting them out in the marketplace.
0: So where can we learn more about wine so that like an easy maybe online or in-person place for those of us that are not wine experts, but we want to just be a little bit more familiar with what we do and don't like about wine, different wines.
1: So I think the best online resource is um, WineFolly.com. I think it's W-I-N-E-F-O-L-L-Y. And it's really evolved over the years and it's a great resource. She also has a book out, which I've heard wonderful things about. And um, her style is she uses a lot of infographics and a lot of visual um yeah infographics to really explain wine and i think that it makes it a lot more digestible for for people so i highly recommend that source i mean it's respected in the industry and you know it's wonderful for consumers as well so that's definitely a good source and then in the city um You can take wine classes at the International Wine Center. Um, They have classes at every level. Um, They have classes for consumer audiences and for people who are just interested in learning a little bit more about wine. And that also is um, the path of class coursework that you can take that would lead you eventually to the Master of Wine program. So I highly recommend taking classes there as well. Or just looking up wherever you live, um, the WSET courses, Wine and Spirits Education Trust. Okay. So that's the curriculum that the International Wine Center administers. But there are schools all over the world that administer that same uh,
0: that same curriculum. And that's kind of an industry standard curriculum. That is super helpful. I'm going to go on wine folly for sure. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> How can the Depth and Candor community support you?
1: I think just, you know, continuing to look to me for any wine events that you may have in the New York metro area um, and follow, you know, Going onto my website, which is um, www.kellymitchellwine.com, to see my full range of services and to contact me if you have any questions. Uh, And then, you know, staying in touch by um, continuing to stay in touch on social media. Which um, on Instagram is my primary um, platform that I'm involved in, and my Instagram is Kells K E L L S zero one. And you know, staying abreast of things I may do down the line. I mean, right now my services are service oriented. I don't sell any products but that may change down the line um, when if I do move into glassware or um, if there are um, I also try to promote events that I'm doing that are open to the public so most times I'm I'm hired for private events but if i'm hired for an event that's ticketed and that's open to the public i try to share that out as well so there may be opportunities to come and meet me and so and and see for yourself what it's like to work with me on uh, in wine um it's wonderful thank you thank you <laughs> i had a great time with you guys too um and i so said i think that's another way to just stay in touch and to support and just um you know to continue to and to reach out if you have any questions about about wine or, or the industry, careers in the industry, or um, just anything related to wine, I'm happy to, to talk to anyone.
0: Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much, Iwate. It's so great to see you. You are wonderful. <laughs> I hope that was as eye opening for you as it was for me. Here are my three biggest takeaways from this episode. Number one, pair your wine with the sauce of the food you're eating instead of just the food itself because the sauce is what gives it the dominant flavor. Number two, when buying or ordering rosé, always order the latest year's rosé. So if it's summer of 2017, you should be ordering 2016 rosé. And number three, this one's my favorite one. A truly vibrant life is one where you can see and get excited about the future instead of just trying to get through the day, the week, the month, etc. And this applies to any aspect of your life. I know Kelly mentioned this when she was talking about her career, but it really does apply to your love life, to your health, to everything. You should be able to think about the long term and not just the day to day. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got as much out of this episode as I did everything we talked about today is in the show notes, which you can access by clicking the image on this podcast. And if you like this episode, subscribe on iTunes and please, please rate this show. And if you want more than just the podcast, go to depthandcandor.com and join the insiders list so you can get invitations to in-person events, new videos, and personal life lessons. Actually, that reminds me, I need to make a video about like 36 hours in Cartagena. So all of that will be included if you sign up and subscribe to depthandcandor.com. And if you want to keep up with me as I try to live my best life, follow me on Instagram at h-i-w-o-t-e underscore g. Okay, let's talk next week. Bye.